Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Amen. Okay. All right. Um, I, I said earlier that for anyone who perhaps was not here last week or missed last week, I spoke about peace and how in this world, Jesus says, we will have trouble. Uh, and yet, in him, we can have peace. We are in two things at the same time. We are in the world where there is trouble and challenge and difficulty, and yet we are in him, and his kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy even in the Holy Spirit. Not that we disengage from what is going on, but we engage with God so that we are able to rightly and best engage with what is going on around us. And so if you missed that, I'd love to encourage you to go online. We've got that uh, up online and to, and to listen to that um, from last week. Okay. Um, at our recent church weekend away that I know many of you uh, were at, uh, we looked at the life and call of Isaiah one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, and how in the midst of a season where Israel had largely rejected God, in the midst of a desperate national faithlessness, Isaiah encounters God. Isaiah meets with God, and he sees the Lord in a way that is so different from the way that everyone else seemed to be seeing God in that time. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, Isaiah chapter 6, surrounded by these angelic beings who are crying to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and, and thresholds shook just this picture of the glory of God, heaven touching earth as the glory of the Lord is engaged with Isaiah and revealed to Isaiah. And we see that as the people are despising God, Isaiah is seeing the Lord infinitely honorable, majestic, and glorious. Where the people are not worshiping God, with reverence and respect, Isaiah is seeing that actually from heaven's perspective, the worship of God never ends. And, and in this moment of encountering the glory of God, Isaiah realizes two things. He realizes how desperately he needed God himself, how desperately his nation needed God needed God's grace and forgiveness and help, but he also realized how worthy God was of his full attention and respect and love and awe and worship and life. And Isaiah's response to God out of that is essentially, wow, God, you are my Lord. I give you my life. I am willing to follow you wherever you might send me. I will do whatever you call of me. Simply, you have to ask. It's amazing the difference, isn't it? Between knowing about God and having met with God. Having heard about God and actually encountering the glory of God in the way that it changes us. 
It changes our hearts. It changes the focus of our lives. And it's almost, I'd love to ask you, in your life right now, what are you living for? What is it that is the central heart of your, your passion? Why are you living the way that you are living? This encounter with, with God resets, rejigs Isaiah's heart. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so we make it our goal or we make it our ambition to please him, to please Jesus, to please God in the way that we're living. He's the center. He's the focus. What is your center? What is our focus? What is the treasure of our hearts? Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I was, I was thinking about this. What is it that lights up our eyes? You know when you see it and your eyes light up and, and you just have that sense of passion and, and inward desire? What are the things that fill the gaps of your time? Where does your heart run when you're not busy with the unavoidable tasks of the day? I hope you have some of those gaps <laughs> at the moment where life is so stretched and busy. Okay? But in the gaps, when you're not busy, where does your heart land? Where does it linger? What does it run to? What has set your heart ablaze? Jesus, in the passage we're going to look at, if you have your Bibles, you want to open them, uh, tablets or phones or paper copies. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 as we are continuing to journey through the gospel of Mark. Um, but Jesus essentially is going to say to the crowds and to the disciples, you've seen me now. You've, you've seen my life. You've seen who I am. You've heard my teaching. You've seen the miracles. And you now need to decide, am I worth the devotion of your life? Am I worth the focus of your attention? Because if you want to follow me, that is what it's going to take. I need to be first, and I need to be the focus. Will you make Jesus the central ambition of your heart? This is now going to be God's challenge to us. And, and I recognize these words from Jesus. They are weighty words. There is real gravity to these words. And yet, there is incredible kindness and love in them too. And, and I want to show you that as well. And so Mark chapter 8 um, says this. Um, he says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And just to pause at this for a moment, this is really important. Because uh, what Jesus is going to say was not for who we might consider the spiritual elite, for the twelve. Or who we might consider the spiritual elite today. I'm not sure who you might consider the spiritual elite. Perhaps your, your home group leader, your connect group leader, um, the leadership team in the church, the pastor, the missionaries. You, you know, we have these circles that we put people within. That's for them, but I'm just an ordinary person. William Lane, in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, says, By calling the crowd, Jesus indicates the conditions for following him are relevant for all believers, not just the 12. And these conditions challenge all of our hearts. They challenge mine 
and I'm sure that they're going to challenge yours. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Has come with power. As I say, the words that we have here from Jesus, they are weighty words. But we mustn't miss God's kindness and love as he speaks them to us. It's a bit like this. I recognize this is perhaps a a provocative example at the moment. It's a bit like you go to your doctor that you know and love and trust. Perhaps you have a doctor like that. Let's imagine that you do, if you don't, that you have a doctor that you you know and you love and, and you trust. And they say to you, there's something that we need to do. And it's important. And I recognize it's going to be challenging. And then they go on to explain, but this is why you need to do it. These are the reasons it's so important. And not only that, if we do it, you can get better. And I want you to get better. I think this is the heart that Jesus shares this with us. There is a command, and it's followed by these four reasons that God gives us. And and in the original language, each of these reasons begins with the same word that we would normally translate for or because. And so we have the command for because this is why, for because this is why, and this is why, and this is why. And you can see that Jesus is trying to impress on us the significance of this and why it's so beneficial for us to live like this. And so let me share with you first the command and then Jesus' reasons for doing it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It begins with this desire. Do you desire to follow him? Do you want to be my disciple? And this is spoken to the crowd and to the disciples and it's spoken to all of us. And it is amazingly inclusive. Whoever wants... Whoever wants can have it, can follow God, a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your social class. It doesn't matter your race or your gender or what you've done in the past. It is as inclusive as it could possibly be. Whoever wants to be my disciple is allowed. But this is what it's going to take. Do you want it? And the first thing that we see it's going to take is self-denial. Probably, possibly, the most countercultural, perhaps the most emotionally offensive idea in our society today, I think. Everything in our culture says, you define yourself. 
You don't just have the right to do it. You should do it. You define yourself, and then you defend your sense of self, and then you follow the desires that are within yourself. That is how society operates today. And so to deny yourself for another person and for their life and for their mission and for their goals, I think is about as countercultural as Jesus gets in his teaching. It's a big request. He goes on to take up your cross. Now remember, Jesus hasn't been to the cross yet. And so as he speaks about this, they, we, when we speak about the cross as Christian people, uh, we recognize that it was, it was a place of, of torture and challenge. But for us, it also elicits emotions of thankfulness and hope because we know what Jesus has done for us on the cross. As he speaks these words to the crowds, they have nothing positive to associate with the idea of the cross. For them, the cross meant official opposition and punishment. It meant shame. It meant suffering. And it meant death. That's what the cross meant. And now, ourselves, at least our old self, if you anything like me, wants nothing really to do with official opposition. We don't really like to be opposed en masse by other people. The self, myself, doesn't want shame, doesn't want suffering, definitely doesn't want death. And so we see the only way to take up our cross and follow Christ is to deny our self. Because if we want to follow Jesus, we need to be able to walk where he walks and walk where he walked. And our hearts need to be able to say the same things that Jesus said. Do you remember the prayer? God, not my will, self-preservation, but your will. Even if that means loss, your will be done and not mine. Jesus models it for us. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you need to be prepared to endure the things that I endured. Official opposition, shame, suffering, and even death. And you might be sitting there and thinking or, or, or watching and listening online and think, well, why on earth would I want to do that? Why would we want to live like that? Why would we want to deny ourselves and take up a cross and, and face shame and suffering and death? That doesn't sound like, a, like an encouraging sermon at all, Jason, for the first one that we live stream on, on YouTube. No one switched off yet. So why do we do it? And Jesus gives us four profound reasons that this is the best way to live. The first thing he says is this. This is actually what will save your life. This will save your life. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. And so in a sense, there are two lives that we have. There's the life that you can give yourself that at some point will end. And we are perhaps more aware of that at the moment than at 
any other time in our near history in this area. We are aware of the reality and the finality of death. And then there is the life that God can give you. That is an eternal life with him that can never be taken away. And Jesus says, if you try to save your life, the life you can give yourself, you are going to lose it. And eventually, you will stand before God. We'll come to this in a moment. And what you will face then is not God's offer of mercy to follow Jesus, to have your sin forgiven, to have your life restored. It will be to face the finality of God's judgment for having rejected his son. But if you are willing to lose the life that you could give yourself, to receive the life that he wants to give you, if you are willing to give up your life built on your own self-interests for Jesus and for the gospel, that is for the person because you love him and you've seen he's worth it, and for his mission because you love it and you've seen that it's worth it, then he says, I will give you something that you can never lose and your life will be saved. It's famously said, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the first reason. This will save your life. Why deny yourself? Why take up your cross? Because actually, this is the way to life, and life with God forever. The second reason is this. Because of the value of your soul, Four, why do this? Because what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? It's, it's a rhetorical question. So, and so why, what good is it to gain everything the self wants and yet lose your soul in the process? And the answer to the rhetorical question is, it is of no good. It is of no profit to gain everything that this world could give you if it means you lose your soul in the process. What is the worth of your eternal soul? Are your finances, your wealth, your privilege, are they worth the eternity of your soul? Is approval worth your soul as opposed to opposition? Is honor worth the eternity of your soul? as opposed to shame in this world? Is comfort worth the eternity of your soul, as opposed to suffering in this world? Is safety worth the eternity of your soul, as opposed to death in this world? And Jesus' answer to the question is no. There is nothing in this world. You do not understand, Jesus says, how valuable your soul is. You do not understand the reality and gravity of the eternity of your soul. There is nothing that you can gain in this world that is worth more than that. Why live like this? Because you are so valuable. You are so valuable and so valuable to God. He does not want your life to be lost. The third reason is similar to it. Nothing you have could rescue your soul if you lost it. For what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
Another rhetorical question. What could you use to buy back your soul if it was, if it was taken away? Could power, could you exert enough power, worldly power, to, to, to buy it back? Or wisdom, or fame, or wealth, or influence, or beauty, or privilege? John Piper soberingly puts it like this. He says, you cannot buy a soul out of hell. You cannot. Why deny yourself? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Because there's nothing you could gain anyway in this world. There's nothing you could keep that you could use to rescue your soul if you lost it. And then the last reason is this. Jesus will not be ashamed of you. Jesus will not be ashamed of you. For why do this? Why live like this? Because anyone who is ashamed of me, Jesus says, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The last reason. We cannot escape displeasing and offending someone in the way that we live. It is simply a choice of who do we choose to please and who do we choose to offend. And so Jesus paints this picture of two groups of people. He says, there are the group of people that don't love God and will not follow God. And then there are all of the angels in heaven that will come with Jesus when he comes again in power. So I want you to imagine, maybe close your eyes, okay, and you picture the two groups of people. There are all of those who might oppose, ridicule, mock, scorn, and disbelieve in Jesus. And then there are the myriads and myriads upon myriads, 10,000 upon 10,000, angels of heaven that will come with Christ when he comes in his power, when the kingdom is fully revealed. And you stand in front of both groups. And the question is, which group would you impress? He says we can either live for the approval of the world and be ashamed of Jesus or we can live for and receive the approval of Jesus and all of heaven and endure the hostility of the world in this life. And those are our choices, just as they were Jesus' choices, as he did the same, and lived for his Father and yet received the scorn of those that would not follow him. He goes on to say, and he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Which we know is a reference to the transfiguration. For those of you who perhaps don't know the account, Jesus goes up onto the mountain with a couple of his close disciples. And the glory of Christ that was always there but was hidden is revealed. And God comes, and Moses and Elijah are there, and the Father 
affirms the son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and the, the core group of disciples get to see a glimpse of what is to come when he returns. And we know that this is what's being spoken about because Peter, who was there on the mountain with him, says this in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. Christianity is not a way of thinking. It's not a philosophy. It is a response to a person who came in history and people saw it and they witnessed it and God did something. It goes on, Peter goes on to say, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God, the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. In other words, we got to see what's coming, Peter says. We got to see what's coming. We got a picture, like Isaiah got a picture, of the glory of the Lord high and lifted up. And the glory of God that filled the earth. And he is coming back. And we saw him. And he's worth it. And he's worthy. And we're not telling you stories, but we were there. And if it means laying down your life in this life for what is to come, it's worth it. And that is the appeal of the apostles, the early church, those that were with him, and everyone else that has followed him faithfully over the centuries, awaiting his return. And so the question for us very pertinent actually in this time, but it's pertinent all the time. What are you living for? And this is Jesus' challenge for us, every one of us. He says it to the crowd and he says it to the disciples, to those that we might consider the spiritual elite and everybody else. How will you respond to Jesus? Paul said, I've made it my goal and ambition to please him ahead of everything else. And will you do that? Because he's worthy. Because he will save your soul. Because he is more valuable than anything this world has to offer. And because he's coming back in glory with the heavenly angels, and we will be with him forever. And on that day, what a celebration. You will not think on that day, oh, I wasted my life. Perhaps some of us will think, gosh, I could have given him more. I could have given him more because he was worthy and I didn't see it. I, I'm amazed every time you look in the scriptures, people, they encounter God. It's interesting to me, I, I talk to people, they, they have these encounters with the glory of God. And they don't come away from those times thinking, gosh, you know what, I could be getting away with more. You know, I, like this, I, I could have been sinning more, I didn't realize. They, they don't come away saying that. They come away saying, God is so much worthy 
more worthy than I realized. He is so much more glorious than I could have ever imagined. He's worth my life. He's worth my life. On the weekend away, we did something I, I think was very powerful. We, we tried to respond a bit like Isaiah. Isaiah responds to God and he says, God, I'll go. I will go. Send me. And God hasn't given him the assignment yet. He just says yes. Um, his heart is yes before he knows what he's told to do. I think that's because he's understood how glorious God is and how worthy he is. And so I want to give us a moment, and perhaps those of you who are listening online, in our hearts to say yes to God. We will follow. We don't know what that means. We can't. But we know you. And we've seen enough to know you worthy to follow. Does that ring true? And so perhaps you'd like to stand who are here and the team are kind of come up. They're going to lead us in a moment in a song. I've asked Jimmy if he'd um, be prepared just to play in the background as I pray for us. And I want to invite you in your heart. You know, he said this to the disciples and he said it to the crowd. I think that means... This is a fresh challenge for those of us who know God and follow Him, as well as perhaps those who don't. And it's very simple to choose to follow God. It's challenging to live it. It's very simple to choose it. What we say is, God, we recognize we need you. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And I choose to follow you the way you've told me to follow. And so in your hearts, perhaps... Maybe you imagine Jesus standing before you and he says to you very personally, very personally, he comes to you and he says, do you want to follow me? Will you follow me? Will you be my disciple? Will you deny yourself and take up your cross that I might give you life, that I might rescue your soul and you could be with me forever? Will you say yes to me? And if in your heart you can say that, you can say yes to Jesus You might have said it a hundred times before, a thousand times before. But if you can say yes to Jesus, then maybe you want to respond in some way. Perhaps you want to lift your hand. If you're listening online, you could just type in the chat, yes, (laughs) as a response. You know, however you feel, you want to respond to that. Lord, we choose today to say yes to our Lord, yes to our Savior, and yes to our God. We say, yes, you are worthy. Yes, you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy to be followed. We trust you. We choose you. And we ask for your help and your strength. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh with your power, with a steadfast heart. God, you promise us to put a new spirit within us and a new heart in us that you might move us to follow you and be obedient to you.
God, we ask for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.